0: 15, part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Kevin Swanson. Feliz Cinco de Mayo. If there are any uh, hermanos, hermanas, Mexicanas with us today, uh, congratulations on your day. For those of us that uh, don't claim that ethnicity, uh, Cinco de Mayo is celebrating a day when a much smaller Mexican army... Uh, Whipped the tails of a much larger French army And so that was uh, worthy of celebration for our our, uh, our neighbors to the south um, The rest of the story is a year later the French came back with a much larger army and they won So that was disappointing but at least uh, Cinco de Mayo is a holiday that, that is celebrated around here uh, Delighted to be with you here today Anybody who's visiting for the first time a special welcome to you Uh, Love to meet you after the service out at the Newcomers Quick Stop. Have a gift for you there. Uh, As Pastor Doug said, we are continuing in our journey through the book of Acts in the New Testament of the Bible. And for those of you that have been here since we began that, uh, pat yourself on the back. We've made it to halftime. 14 chapters uh, up through last week and 14 to go. We're starting in chapter 15 today, so good job. We've, uh, we've learned a ton as we've gone through this book. There's still a lot to learn, and so much of it is a- applicable to us right where we are today because we're looking at the foundation of the early church, and, 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 and we are the result of the early church and everything that has happened since then, so it's really practical for us. If you were here last week, Pastor Mike uh, shared with us how this, this, the great man, the Apostle Paul and his traveling companion Barnabas... And, and some others that went with them, they ended this two-year ministry trip, and they, they went full circle and came back to the city of Antioch, which happens to be in modern-day Turkey today, and, and were back there to catch their breath after two years of, of ministry. And as Pastor Mike was preaching last week, it suddenly occurred to me that we have our own Paul and Barnabas right here at Metro Community Church. Now, I realize there is a slight gender difference, but Scott and Christina Kwok, who are our missionaries that we sent out to Thailand, they're our modern-day Paul and Barnabas. I sent them an email last week, and I said, hey, where have you guys all been in the last two years, I was thinking of the time span that corresponds to Paul and Barnabas' first ministry trip. And they wrote back to me and they said, well, we, we live here in Chiang Mai, Thailand, but we travel down to Bangkok because we're helping some people set up kingdom businesses there to employ people that would be otherwise un- unemployable. Uh, we've been to Cambodia and, and have some workers there that we encourage and, and, and bless. And we've been to the Philippines all in the past two years. And I thought, ah just like Paul and Barnabas. Here they are, they're cruising all over Asia to these different places. And every once in a while, they return back here, like Paul and Barnabas returned back to Antioch. And whenever they're here, we always grab them, get them up front so they can share a little update with us. If you don't get their newsletters, talk to me. I will give you the link so you can get it. They just sent one out about a week and a half ago. It was excellent. But they are our Paul and Barnabas. They get sent from here, they go out and do the work God has put before them, they return, they report to us, they hopefully catch some rest when they come home. I'm not so sure that Scott and Christine get a lot of rest when they're here in the States. But I know that Paul and Barnabas were looking forward to some rest there in Antioch. And what we find in the passage today is it looks like they don't get it right away because something else comes up that they have to deal with, something very, very significant. So I'm going to read for us today our passage which starts in Acts chapter 15. Uh, verse one through verse twenty-one. You can follow along on the screen, or your Bibles, or your or your app if you if you have that. This is the Word of God. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This is where I would like to pound my fist on this table here because this is the kind of thing that was happening. You guys must become Jewish if you want to be saved. I don't want to do that because I'll spill my water. But it was that kind of a thing, okay? They're demanding this. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Then, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up, "Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food pollu- polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Metro, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray together. Father, once again, it's our privilege to gather around your word. And what we need today, God, is to hear from you. And I pray that this message won't be any of any of my thoughts, opinions, or ideas, but it will be your truth delivered today to your people, and that your Holy Spirit would prepare us to receive what exactly what you have for us today. So we thank you that you're here. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for this time to welcome one another. And now, God, as we turn to, this, uh, to your word, I pray that you'll give us the alertness and the open hearts and minds that we need to receive what you have. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So Paul and Barnabas didn't catch a break. Right away, when they get back to Antioch, this issue pops up, and it grabs everybody's attention, especially all of the leaders there in the church. And it's not an unfamiliar one. If you will remember back a few weeks, Pastor Peter uh, in Acts chapter 10, demonstrated to us where, where the apostle Peter was confronted with this same issue when this Roman military man named Cornelius and his family seemingly came to faith in Christ. And then the Jewish people were resistant to that. Wait a minute, no, no, they're Gentiles. They can't become Christians and this. And there was a lot of conversation and debate, but it, God made it abundantly clear that no, this was his plan. And a week or so later, Pastor Doug, in the next chapter, had had the message that covered the report about this incident with Cornelius back to the church in, in Jerusalem, and how they dealt with this issue, and they came to the same conclusion. No, God is indeed welcoming the Gentiles into the family of God. And here, once again, it rears its head. Again, it hasn't Gone away. In the very first verse of the passage, while Paul and Barnabas are still in Antioch, some of these well meaning Jewish Christians stand up and demand that unless the Gentiles get circumcised, they can't be saved. And that's a powerful statement to make. Unless you meet this criteria, you are unacceptable to God. And then again in verse 5, There in Jerusalem, again, some of the well-meaning Jewish Christians stood up and they said the Gentiles must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So the message that these Jewish leaders, well-meaning people, the message that they are giving to the Gentiles is simply this. You will never really be Jewish because you can't be. You have to be born Jewish. be Jewish. You'll never really be Jewish, but to be accepted by God and by us Jews, you have to work as hard as you can to become as Jewish as possible. Do the things we do. Act the way we act. Believe the things we believe, and then you will be acceptable to God, and you can be a Christian like us. This is the message that they were sending to the Gentiles. Church, this is a justice issue. When one group of people says to another group of people, you will only be acceptable if you try as hard as you can to be as much like us as you possibly can. That is a justice issue. And God never, ever supports that. And he certainly doesn't support what's going on here today. Metro, if you've been around uh, here for a while, you've heard the word brokenness a lot, spoken from this pulpit, talked about in small groups, seen it in print. We embrace brokenness here at Metro. We don't deny the fact that every one of us is messed up. We bring our own junk. We have our past. we've We've got our sins that we fight with and struggle with. And God knows that, and he accepts us anyways. And in our brokenness, he meets us, And then he begins the process of transforming us, of healing us, of making us into people that are more like Jesus Christ. So we don't deny our brokenness here. We celebrate our brokenness. We believe it gives us unity and commonality as we all admit that we are broken. But there is a type of brokenness that we must never, ever accept. And that's what's happening right here in the book of Acts in chapter 15. Because what we see here is that the church is on the brink of breaking. The church is about to fracture. The church is about to shatter over this issue that has come up once again. And so, as we look at how the early church faces this threat that has come upon them in this chapter, we can apply to our own lives and to our church family some truths That will help us safeguard against the same thing that they are facing. And I'm going to frame this message underneath the question. How do we maintain unity in the church? And we will watch the early church to see how they maintain unity. And there's a direct connection that we can apply to ourselves today. Large issues will divide us. Small issues will divide us. And if we don't fight against it. And if we don't work towards maintaining unity. We will be divided. This is just a sidebar comment here. If you're married here today, the things we talk about actually apply to your marriage as well. This is not a sermon about marriage. If you are in a relationship, if you are friends with anybody, which we all are, what we talk about today will apply to any human relationship as well. So there's sort of a double benefit here in what we're going to look at today. For those of you who like uh, three-point sermons, you're going to be doubly blessed today because there are six distinct points that come out in this passage today. None of, this, none of you need to try to apply all six to you, but my, my, my conviction is that every one of us in the room today needs to hear one or two of these points in here. All six of them certainly apply to us as a church body, but we're all at different places. So here we go, how do we maintain unity in the church? Number one, we must make unity a priority. We must not relegate unity to a a nice thing and if it happens, we'll be happy. No, unity must be central. Unity in the church of Jesus Christ is a foundational piece. We must make it a priority. That has always been God's design from the beginning. In John chapter 17, before Jesus went and gave his life for us on the cross, he prayed a really long prayer. And in the prayer, he includes us because he says to his father, I'm praying for all of those who will believe in me through their message. And that's us. That's why we're here today. And so here's the words of Jesus in his prayer to God the Father. He says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for our unity. And not only is he praying for our unity, but he is saying that what he calls the world, people out there that are watching the church, he says those people out there, when they see the unity that exists here, that will be a proof to them that Jesus really did come from heaven, that God sent him to this earth to work. And and also that the unity that we demonstrate in the church will demonstrate to the world that is watching how much God loves them. So the stakes are high here. Jesus is praying for this. God has designed this. There's important things that that are resting on us being a unified body. And Jesus brings these out in that prayer. The Apostle Paul in chapter 4, as he's encouraging the church regarding unity, he says this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, he says. And what have we just seen here in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts? We've seen, we've seen Paul and Barnabas go on a 1,200-mile, two-year ministry trip. And Pastor Mike said last week, they came back beat up, literally bruised, battered, and scarred. They needed some rehab time. And and this issue comes up there in Antioch, in the church, this Jew-Gentile thing. And what happens? The church says, Paul, Barnabas, go pack your bags. Go pack your bags. You're going to Jerusalem. And and we'll send some more people with you. You're going to take this to the leaders in Jerusalem. we we got to get help with this thing here. Check the map, church. 300 miles, Antioch to Jerusalem. And if you read the passage, look at what we just read today. They stopped along the way to encourage the other church. They were walking. Here's my question. What is so important in your life that you would drop everything and walk 600 miles? Because it was a round trip. They did have to come back with the news from Jerusalem. What would you walk 600 miles for tomorrow morning? That's the priority that the early church put on their unity. It was that crucial of an issue for them. So point number one, how do we maintain unity in the church? We make it a priority. Number two, seek the wisdom of the community. Seek the wisdom of the community. Now when I say the community here, I don't necessarily just mean you know, any random person you run into. But in a church like Metro, you are surrounded by by mature, seasoned Christians. Not just pastors and teachers, but there's, there's lots of good people, wise people here in this church. And as we face things that could tend to divide us, we can try to figure it out on our own, but we will probably not succeed. God has placed us in community on purpose. And the church there in Antioch, they realized when this thing came up, they said, whoa, this is way above our pay grade. We got to go to Jerusalem. We got go to go the, to the big guys, the apostles and the elders there to get help to figure this thing out. We cannot figure this thing out on our own. In the Old Testament wisdom book of Proverbs, we read in chapter eleven, fourteen: 14, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. This early church sought out many advisors. You and I need to seek out many advisors as we face things that can divide the church as opposed to unify it. And that's why this group is sent all the way to Jerusalem. They haven't even washed their clothes, I don't think, from the last trip. But it's that important for them to go seek the wisdom of the community. Church, we don't always know as much as we think we do. A lot of these things that we face are way bigger than us. Several years ago when our church office used to be up in Fort Lee, um, two of our Metro partners, uh, members of Metro Community Church, uh, asked if they could meet with me. I said, yeah, of course. I knew both of them, I knew them well. And, And I respect both of these people. They're the kind of people I would go to if I needed some input or some wisdom. And so they came and sat down in my office. I'm curious, what is this about? And they shared with me, we are, we're like banging our heads into each other. We, we're, we got this issue, and we can't figure it out, and we've tried, it's getting worse, it's not getting better, so we want to talk to you about it. Said, okay, well, let's talk, and we talked, and I listened, and we prayed, and we talked, and by the time they left the office, they were both clearly on a path towards unity, t- towards reconciliation In their relationship but they needed some outside help I don't know that I had anything really profound to say to them but I think just getting there saying it out loud having a third person there was very very helpful and they left headed towards unity we need to be willing to seek the wisdom of the community if we want to maintain unity in the church number three we must remember that we are family We must never forget that we are family. Now, I'm going to build a lot on one word here, and and I think you'll be okay with it. If not, talk to me afterwards. But the apostle Peter, when they had this big meeting in Jerusalem there, and these people had pounded their fists on the table and demanded that the the Gentiles got to become Jews if they're going to be Christians and stuff, then Peter stands up and he looks out across this crowd. And it's a very diverse crowd. Okay, you've got Jewish people. You've got, they're born Jews. They can tell you what tribe they're from. They follow the law to the letter. And then you've got Gentiles over here who have become Christians. And, and they're all in the same room with each other here. And they're trying to figure this thing out. And Peter looks across the crowd and he says this one word. He says, brothers. Now, if the women would have been in the room as well, he'd have said sisters and brothers. Not because they all shared the same mother, No. Not even because they were of the same ethnicity, no. Or the same background, no. Because they all shared a common bond in Jesus Christ. And he's trying to remind them of what binds them together. They are family. So he doesn't address them as you rabble-rousing, arguing people. No, brothers, you are family. James comes up four verses later, four or five verses later to address them and he says the exact same thing. Brothers, you are all connected. You're not blood relatives but there's something stronger than blood that's connecting you. Again, the apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 when he's urging the church toward unity in in, in verses four through six he says this. He says there is one body could somebody please say one body? One body. Mm, that's good. And one spirit. One spirit. Thank you. Just as you were called to one hope. One hope. One Lord. One Lord. One faith. One faith. A little more enthusiasm here, church. One baptism. One baptism. Thank you. One God. one God. One Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I'm not trying to rewrite scripture here, but I would add two things to the list. And I think I'm legitimate in doing this. We, we approach the Lord's table to receive from the one cup that Jesus offers to us. And we take the bread from the one loaf. If You think back to that night, the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, it says he took a cup of wine, And he passed it around to all of them. He says, share all of this among you. The cup united them. And he took one loaf and he broke it and he distributed it between all of them. And the loaf united them. Church, we have way more that unites us or should unite us than what can tend to divide us. I would go so far as to say that the water of our baptism. And the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ and the broken body of Jesus create the strongest family bonds that we will ever experience. Stronger than the blood that's running through our veins. I want you to remember that the next time that you're tempted to cut ties with a sister or brother in Christ because they offended you. They said something you didn't like or they don't agree with you about something. You just went your separate ways. We don't have that option. We are family. Point number four, and I apologize. I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but point number four is just this. Shut up and listen. Would you please shut up and listen? I'm talking to myself here. I'm holding the mirror up. I love to talk. I love to tell. I love to fix things for you, right? Verse 12 and 13. The whole assembly became silent, as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Aren't we just so desperate to talk? Aren't we just so desperate to say our piece? Aren't we just so desperate to tell you why we should have our feelings hurt because that person did or didn't do this thing to us and I'll tell you all about it and then that's called gossip and we're not supposed to do that in the church, it divides us, it doesn't unite us, but we're so prone to talk. When Linda and I get into like a discussion, (laughs) which we do, (laughs) we're having a discussion one time and she just kind (laughs) of let me talk until I ran out of words to say and she looked at me and she said you just need to be right don't you and I said no well yes I do because I am (laughs) just just listen I'll tell you what's the problem here I'll fix it for us no 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 you need to slow down and listen to the other person don't just give your opinion don't just tell how you can make this thing right unity demands that we listen to the other person's perspective? How can we be unified if we won't even put ourselves in the position to listen to somebody else? Here at Metro, I think we're growing a little bit in this area, because in the past few years, as we've dealt with things like racial righteousness, racial injustice, many of us have learned to listen better. And as I've listened to some of your stories around this room, who don't happen to share the same skin tone as me, I've been scandalized. What? You faced that now here in Bergen? I had no idea. Well, of course not, white dude. It doesn't happen to you. <laughs> but if we don't listen, how will we know? Right. And the whole at me too thing, when it was brought to our attention here and, and we, we even dedicated an entire day to it to bring in an outside speaker, the message was you need to listen Listen to what these women have experienced right under your nose, men. Listen if you want to know the truth. Listen if you want to experience unity. James, when he wrote his letter to the churches later on, he says this in 119, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We will not experience unity in the church until we learn to shut our mouths more and listen more. Number five, remember God's work and God's word. Remember God's work and God's word. Now I feel like given the horsepower that was in the room there in Jerusalem, you've got James, the leader of the main church, the, the, the home church for all of them. You've got the apostle Paul and Barnabas. You've got the apostle Peter. All these guys are in the room. And I think any one of them would have had the right to say, no, you, no, you guys sit down. Don't be bringing that. We dealt with that already. Gentiles do not have to become Jews to become Christian. Any one of them would have had the right to say that. But they chose not to. And I think they were smart. Because the tactic that they took was instead of giving good ideas or or pulling rank on the other people in the room they said let's tell you about what God did let us tell you the story of when we were on our ministry trip Paul and Barnabas in verse 4 they get up and they reported everything God had done through them this isn't personal opinion This isn't my good idea that I think you should adopt. This is like, no, we got witnesses here to tell you this is true, what I'm telling you. This is what God did among the Gentiles when we were out on our ministry trip. Ooh, oh, that's different. Verse eight, Peter stands up and he says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. How do you argue with that? You know, if Peter stood up and said, well, I feel such as that. No, fine, I feel different. But when you tell somebody what God did, end of conversation. Verse 13, James takes the microphone and gets up and he says God first intervened to choose a people for his name among the Gentiles God was intentional this was God's plan this had been there all along and God did it and we watched it we experienced it they reminded the people of God's works what had God done how had God proven himself but they didn't stop there they also reminded the people of God's word we have to remember God's word. And James does that because he gets up there in verse 16 and he quotes from what? The Old Testament. Oh, interesting. The Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the law and the prophets, the very scrolls that these guys are carrying around with them that are demanding that the Gentiles have to become like Jews to be Christians. James goes back to the book of Amos, the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. And he quotes to these guys from their own scripture how God says that his plan is to call out Gentiles to be a part of his family. It's been there all along, James says. It's right there in our own scriptures. Go home, look at your scrolls, find it for yourself. The unspoken message here that Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James are giving to this this riled up group is simply this, who are you? To oppose what God is doing. Who are you to go contrary to God's word? Who, who, do you, who do you think you are that you can supersede what God is doing? What God has said? If we want there to be unity in the church, it has to be a priority for us. We have to seek the wisdom of the community because we can't figure it out on our own. We can't ever forget that we're family. Sometimes we got to close our mouth. And just listen to the other person and we must always remember God's work and God's word. And finally, number six, point number six, holy compromise. Holy compromise. What do I mean by that? James, being the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, gets the last word. I mean it was on him to listen to all of this stuff, get all the, the opinions and, and and come to a conclusion. He needed to deliver something to these people that had come. And, and he knows it because he starts his state his statement by saying, It is my judgment, therefore. Okay, here comes James, last word. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And when I read that verse, I go, thank you, James. Thank you. Great summary statement. Please back off, you you guys, and allow these Gentiles the blessing that God is offering to them. Great concluding statement. Problem is, he doesn't end there. He adds a couple more verses after that. And I'll read those, 20 and 21. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And and guys, the first time I read that, my shoulders just sort of sank. It's like, wait, what? What did you just do, James? You, You ended well here in what you said, and now... You're throwing a list of Jewish practices at the Gentiles? How is that okay? It's, it's like you've, you've, you've reverted back or you've joined the, the other side. How does, how does that work? So I looked at the list of the four things that he said that the Gentile Christians should abstain from. One of them is a no-brainer, okay? One of them says sexual immorality. And, and it's like, right, yes, Old Testament, New Testament, it's, it's all throughout the Bible that sexual immorality always is destructive. It's, it's never a good thing. Okay, fine. We can all agree on that. But the other three on the list, either, you know, don't eat food meat that's offered to idols. Don't eat meat from an animal that's been strangled. Don't, don't eat the blood of an animal. These are all solidly Jewish laws from the Old Testament. And now James seems to be imposing those on the Gentiles. It seems to make no sense. Because if you were a Gentile Christian and you got that news and you lived off in some city a long ways away from where they're writing this thing, and in your city there happened to be a temple to some idol and you had become a Christian and you understood that an idol is nothing. An idol is made by human hands. Somebody carves a rock or a, a piece of wood and then they call it a god and they bow down to it. And if, if people want to sacrifice meat to that, I have no problem eating that meat. It's like, there's nothing wrong with it. They, they sell it cheap out the back door of the temple. And it's good meat. And now you're telling me that I can't go and buy the good cheap meat in my town because you Jews in Jerusalem decided on this? How, how is that okay? As I considered this further, I've come to the conclusion that James is actually brilliant. James is a true diplomat at this point. He's wise. He can see what's happening here. And here's what I think he's saying when he says this is the letter we should write to the Gentiles. He's saying, my Gentile brothers and sisters, you got to realize this is not easy for us Jews. We always thought this was just a Jewish thing, right? God is showing us something different, welcoming the Gentiles. And we're moving in the right direction. We've made some progress right here in this meeting. But you guys have to understand, you Gentiles have to understand that there are a few things that you do out there that are just so scandalous to us that I don't know if we can be in the same room with you if you're going to be eating meat that was offered to an idol or eating meat from an animal that was strangled. James doesn't say it's sin, but what he's saying is those things are going to divide us. We're just not quite ready for it yet. And what I believe is bottom line is, is this. For the sake of the unity of the church, could you guys please make a holy compromise? Would you guys just back away from some of those things till we get to know each other better till we can figure this thing out because if not it's a non-starter. And he picked out those things on purpose because he's a Jew and he knows a Jewish mind and he knows how that's not going to be received well among the Jewish people if the Gentile Christians have these certain practices. He's saying for the sake of the church, for unity's sake. Can you please make a holy compromise? I believe we're called on to make those holy compromises as well in certain areas. There are certain things that can tend to divide us and they're not sin issues, but they're things that we're just not ready for yet, we're struggling with. So James is being a diplomat when he suggests that if you guys can just stay away from those things for the time being, the unity of the church has a chance, and we really, really want this thing to succeed. Make it a priority. Seek the wisdom of the community. Remember that we're family. Shut up and listen. Remember God's work and God's word, and make those holy compromises when necessary for the sake of the unity of the church. So far in the book of Acts... We have seen this this young, embryonic church going through all kinds of challenges. And we've seen all kinds of threats that have been thrown at the church from the outside. Almost from the very beginning, some of the leaders of the church got arrested right right away because the Jewish leaders didn't like what they were doing. But the church continued to grow. Some of the leaders of the church were actually physically beaten and the church continued to grow. To grow. At one point we read in the book of Acts that all of the apostles were thrown in jail. They were all thrown in prison and the church continued to grow. Stephen, we read about, became the first Christian martyr. Preached probably the best sermon that's recorded in the entire New Testament of the Bible, and it cost him his life. He was stoned to death. And the church didn't just continue to grow after that. No, we're told that the believers from Jerusalem scattered and started planting churches all around. The church exploded after that. The external threats almost universally have strengthened the church, and it's true to this day. If you read about sisters and brothers in Christ in countries of this world where they're persecuted for their faith, the church continues to grow and to grow stronger as well. But this internal threat that the church is facing here with this Jew-Gentile issue, this threat of making Christianity a puppet of, of Judaism, this has the ability to completely destroy the church. And if they hadn't gotten this right, I can guarantee we wouldn't be here today. It was that significant. It's the internal threats, church, that will get us. It's not the stuff that comes from the outside. It's the stuff that happens right here in our midst that will get us if we're not careful. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Peter came into my office. He was was a little down. He said, Pastor Kevin, a rock hit my windshield, and I got a nick in the glass. What should I do? And his car was pretty new, you know, nice car. And he was on a road trip and he came back with this chip in his windshield. I didn't even see it, but I said, There's two things you have to do. He said, Number one, you got to call your insurance company because they will waive the deductible and, and, and they will pay the full cost to have it repaired because they, they want it repaired very quickly. It won't cost you a penny. That excited him. And then I said, You got to get it done right now. Well, what's the rush? I said, Well, that little chip in your windshield looks like nothing right now. But as the temperature gets warmer and colder and, and as you drive around our rough roads here, little tiny hairline cracks are going to start coming out of that chip. At first, you won't even notice them. And then when you do, you'll say, oh, they're really small. That's, yeah, those are really tiny. But I told him, I said, Pastor Peter, I've seen windshields where the cracks extended all the way from one side to the other. And I said, if that happens to your windshield, all you got to do is hit one good New Jersey pothole, or God forbid, a Manhattan pothole, and you can literally have your windshield in your lap. His eyes got big. So, okay, okay, I'll get it fixed, I'll get it fixed. The integrity of that windshield is completely compromised as those little cracks start to go. They're almost invisible. You can ignore them. For a while. But, church, we cannot tolerate even hairline cracks in our body here at Metro Community Church. We can't. It will undermine everything that God is doing here. And those hairline cracks will become bigger if they are not dealt with. And here's the thing Metro is a large enough church now so we can hide from each other. I'm serious. I watch it happen. I I know people who come to first service because they know that the person they're not getting along with comes to second service, okay? I know people who come to first service and go out that door so they don't run into a person coming in for second service in the hallway there. And it's like, what's up with that? It's like, well, I can't go there because my ex is there. Or I can't go there because that person hurt my feelings. or I can't, you know. And it's like, whoa, 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 time out. We can't do this we're working against unity as God is trying to build our unity church if we hide from each other instead of reconciling with each other that's a fail for us that's a fail you get angry at your kids if they fail something okay let's not us be the ones that are failing at the unity that God has designed for us. Acts chapter 15 gives us God's strategic plan for maintaining unity in the church and addressing the divisions when they become apparent. Is it easy? No, it will never be easy and I promise it will not be comfortable but the question for all of us is simply this. Will we do the hard work of following the guidance that God gives us to maintain the unity that is so critical to the body of Christ, to our local church. Will we do the work? Let's pray. God, sometimes the truth of your word is easier to receive than other times. And this is one that can be really challenging for us. And so God, my prayer for my sisters and brothers here today is simply this, that you will soften each of our hearts, that we will be open to receive whatever truth you have communicated to us today. We won't push it aside. We won't say it doesn't apply to us. We won't walk out the door and get distracted. But that we will allow you To let that word, that truth, take root and to bear fruit in our lives. And that if there's some hard work that needs to be done, that we won't shy away from it, knowing that we are working towards the integrity, the unity, the God-designed unity of our local body. I pray that you'll protect us from the evil one that loves to divide us, and pray, Lord, that we would receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, Go ahead and take out your communication card. There's five next steps today, or or your app, if that's where you've got it. Each one of them feeds into unity. Uh, The first one says, I'm receiving God's gift of salvation today. Uh, Maybe you're visiting us today. Maybe um, you've been coming for a while. Maybe you've never made that step of receiving the gift that God is offering you of 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 abundant life and an eternal life because of what his son Jesus Christ did. If you're ready to make that step today, I'd encourage you to check that box and talk with one of us. Stop at the next table out there. Talk with somebody out there. And we'd love to walk through that process with you. But that is the entry level into the family of God where this unity needs to be happening. The second one says, I will take steps towards healing a broken relationship in the church. Only you know what those steps should be. Don't wait for the other, take the steps. If you know, if God is prompting you right now to do that, take those steps towards healing a broken relationship. You may need to get help, that's fine, do that. Do whatever it takes to rebuild the unity. Number three, I'll get involved in a ministry or small group at Metro. Um, I put that down because serving together with a group of people or studying the word together with a group of people is one of the greatest ways to build unity. Hear each other's stories. Be there for each other in times of needs. It's it's a great unity building experience. If you haven't done that yet at Metro, all you do is come here, please take out your communication card. Check a couple boxes on the back. Those ministry leaders will get in touch with you about getting involved in a a ministry or in a small group. Number four, I'll visit the Camp Metro table as I leave the building today. Every summer, uh, we we reserve this whole... um, campground retreat center just for us and everybody who goes always comes back with a testimony of it was such a great time to get to know people better or people that i didn't even know before there's a table on your right as you head out the hall at least stop by there and check it out see if it's something that could work for you this summer and then finally i will read acts 15 22 to 35 before next Sunday. And as we all gather around the word of God together and come prepared each week, uh, that builds our unity as well. It gives us a commonality.